the fantasy football Welcome to the Fantasy Football Beat, the podcast that will never let your team die in darkness. I am Mike Hume. Hi, I'm Des Beeler, and my advice today is, if you absolutely must bring a magazine to a fantasy draft, make it The Economist. I mean, it won't help you with your draft, but you'll look a lot smarter than if you had actually brought a fantasy football magazine. I'm Jeff Dooley, and that's not the worst idea I've ever heard from <laughs> Des. Well, how many times have you heard it? He's a warm-weather quarterback. He's playing in a contract year. Well, it's all lies, according to our guest today, Christopher Harris. He will join us to discuss what he is calling crutch arguments, and that will be our big idea this week. The big idea! Get him off your team. Drop him now. He could be the surprise of the 2017 season. That guy is a walking ACL tear. Oh yeah, he's a major sleeper. Christopher Harris is the host of the aptly titled Harris Football Podcast, the author of the Harris Football Almanac, and the magnate behind HarrisFootball.com. And he's also writing for us on TheWashingtonPost.com, so be sure to come and check out his work. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So uh, with you in attendance, we are going to seed our big idea to you, and you want to talk about something called crutch arguments. So could you please define what you're talking about with crutch arguments? Sure. They're basically, it's sort of bad analysis. It's kind of like when your buddy is giving you one more reason why, by God, <laughs> this is true. They sort of pile on these silly arguments that kind of, well, they're facts, but they don't necessarily imply what you think they're going to imply. Like, so, for example, he's in a contract year. Right. Okay, except for sometimes, statistically, people in contract years don't actually perform better. They perform worse, so maybe they choke because they're in a contract year. Or they got a second receiver, so that first receiver is going to be much more wide open, fewer double teams, except maybe not. Maybe they're just fewer <laughs> targets. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Or that quarterback is always playing from behind, so you want him, except for I don't think that bad quarterbacks on bad teams very often do very well for fantasy. So essentially it winds up being kind of you can't debate the fact is true, but you can debate sort of what it implies. Sometimes it actually implies the opposite of what the crutch arguer is arguing. Right, so you're not wrong, but... <laughs> hey, Chris, it's Jeff Dooley. Hey, Jeff. Quick question for you, because I got a little scared when I saw the contract year one, because I'm very intrigued by three guys at the wide receiver position who are in contract years, Alshon Jeffrey, Terrell Pryor, and Sammy Watkins. How do you view those guys this year? I have them all, well, not Watkins so much anymore. I would have said they were all in my top 20, except for Sammy's move west doesn't make me feel good. It's much more about the quarterback. Or and him. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Contract years can be big they aren't just they aren't necessarily big it's not a reason to like someone you should just like the player for the player and all three of the players you just mentioned can really play uh i I mentioned in my post piece this week how fun i think terrell Pryor is going to be uh give me the combination of the big guy then the fast guy like the deep plays and the touchdowns that sounds pretty good to me and we all know there's quite an opportunity available in washington uh alshon I mean, give me health, and I think I can almost guarantee you I'm getting eight, nine, ten touchdowns. Of course, the health has been a major problem. And then, yeah, Sammy, it is sort of heartbreaking. I wound up dropping him, I don't know, not quite ten receiver spots, but more than a full round in my overall ranks just because as much as I don't think Tyrod Taylor is great, I think he's probably better than Jared Goff. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess the idea with the contract year theory, even though it is it does seem to be specious, I mean, uh, there was a 2014 study by Football Outsiders that basically corroborates what you're saying. It found that there isn't any evidence that players improve their performance significantly in the contract year. I mean, I guess the, the reason it sounds so logical is that football is such a rough sport that, you know, you, so much of it has to do with pain tolerance, and maybe you have some players who, when they're not in a contract year, their <laughs> pain tolerance isn't quite so high, uh, but then when they know there's sort of that pot of gold at the end of the campaign, they might do what it takes to get themselves uh, <laughs> off the medical table and, and back out there. But, you know, maybe that's just s something we're, we're sort of filling in the blanks using our human brains and our, <laughs> our need for causality in, in that sense. That's it. I think it's the need for causality. It's this feeling of, uh, like, those lazy bums. Right, uh, you know. Finally, I understand what motivates them, and in fact, there are not too many lazy people in the NFL. So, so using some of these crutch arguments, what are some of the biggest traps that owners are going to fall into on draft day this year? What are, what are the perils you're seeing? Well, I mean, you do hear the contract year thing sort of as a pile-on argument. Um, Mike Evans, I have rated, I have Mike Evans rated as a first-round pick, so it's not like I'm able to just sit here and say, oh, I mean, you're a disaster if you're drafting Mike Evans. If I'm towards the back end of the first round, I'll take him. But I'm certainly hearing the Deshaun Jackson crutch argument that says, oh, well, I mean, no more double teams for Mike Evans. Are you kidding me? And I don't know how that works out. Sometimes it does work out that way, but sometimes it just means that Deshaun Jackson has the better year. So I'd say if you're, you know, this is probably the reason I'm one of the few people who has Jordy Nelson ahead of Mike Evans. Uh, because I feel like Jordy, in all circumstances, has proven it year after year, and Evans maybe a little bit volume-dependent, and maybe as more weapons come, a possibility that the workload goes down. By the, by the same token, is, is that a reason to be concerned about Odell Beckham? I mean, when the Giants signed Brandon Marshall, I dropped him a notch in my rankings. I mean, it was from like three to four among wide receivers, but... You know, certainly there's idea of, uh, idea of even though if the Giants figure to be a pass-heavy offense, there are only so many targets to go around, and, and a receiver of the caliber of Brandon Marshall is certainly going to command over 100, and he's going to be the kind of secondary receiver the Giants have not had in the, in the Beckham area. So is that, and, of course, they drafted a receiver in the first round, Evan Engram, who may not do a ton, but he'll do more, presumably, than, they, than they've gotten other tight ends like Will Ty and Larry Dunnell in the past. So is, is that a reason to be somewhat concerned about Beckham? It's a reason to take notice. But again, if it becomes the definitive reason, I've seen plenty of times where a secondary receiver has actually helped the primary guy because maybe the target total goes down, but maybe the efficiency per target goes up because you have to pay Brandon Marshall a heck of a lot of attention, especially in the end zone. So for me, it's not a reason to change because I don't know how it's going to work out. <laughs> what it comes down to is like admitting my own frailties, <laughs> admitting my own ignorance. And, and I don't know. I, I think it's probably safe to say that Maybe Marshall being there gives Beckham a bit of a hard cap target-wise. And yet he's so great, and they will throw a bunch. And fine, let's stipulate, instead of nine targets a game, he's getting eight. I think it's still plenty, and you could probably make the convincing argument that Marshall makes him a more effective receiver on a per-target basis. Chris, one of the hot-button guys we've talked about on this show, and, and we've seen him sort of heavily debated elsewhere, is Brandon Cooks. Now, he's a guy who's, to this point in his career, he's been uh, for a Dome team in New Orleans. Now, of course, he's playing in Foxborough, Massachusetts for his home games. How do you view him this year? I honestly view him just almost exactly the same because it feels like, okay, well, I go from one offense that completely spreads it around and gives me a little bit of a roller coaster ride and an ulcer and the cumulative <laughs> numbers wind up looking better than the week-by-week -week experience of owning him. 
and he goes to another Hall of Fame quarterback who spreads it around, who blah, blah, blah. Like, yes, Brandon Cooks is, by his nature, of the Feast or Famine weekly thing. There are going to be four weeks where you're just like, did he show up? Was he actually on the field? But there are going to be four weeks where he wins you the week. And I've always just sort of devolted towards his talent. I think he's absolutely in the same phylum of receivers as Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham. And he doesn't play in quite as good a situation that features him quite as much. And he probably won't in New England either. But high-level wide receiver, too, I'm, I'm going to do it. Of course, roster construction matters. So if you're going to take a feast or famine dude, like I'll pair him with Larry Fitzgerald all day long, especially in a PPR league, because I'll feel like, okay, Larry, go out there and get your ten points, and like let's see what Cooks can do on the on the feast side of things. You know, uh, Chris, when when you talked about that quarterback who's always playing from behind uh, and who puts up sort of garbage time points, I mean, the one name that certainly comes to mind is Blake Bortles, you know, the all time yeah. king of garbage time, and of course, part of the <laughs> issue. So often with these quarterbacks, you know, when the team has fallen way behind, it's probably because the quarterback's been playing pretty badly up to that point and probably thrown a pick six or two. You know, and I, I think Bortles has been annoying in fantasy because he actually has been a top 12 quarterback the past few years. So wh- whoever, you know, held their nose and had him on their team actually got good fantasy production. Some of that comes from rushing, but a lot of it comes from this, like, weird fourth quarter uh, production you get from him. Uh, so, you know, j- just following along those lines, I mean, is there a, do you see that scenario playing out at all again with Bortles, or can we now assume – the Jags will have a better defense, they'll be in games, they'll give it to Leonard Fournette 25 times, and Bortles will be the non-factor that I think we all think he should be based on his real-life quarterbacking skills. Probably I err on the side of that, of them being maybe a little bit more balanced. Um, Also, that's another player, though, who wasn't particularly fun to own week-to-week. There were some 14 for 23s for 192 yards and no touchdowns in there. It's just every so often you get the boom, and you don't know when it's coming and that's one of the other problems with saying hey i want the coming from behind quarterback because in the moment they're in a competitive game and the coach is like oh we might win like let's take care of the ball then that quarterback doesn't isn't going to be given the opportunity to dig out of the hole and you're so right i mean two years ago Bortles was horrible disaster i mean the throwing motion does look like a drunk guy falling out a window (laughs) like it's real bad and, uh, like, of course, he dug the holes through, you know, that he helped your fantasy team while digging, trying to dig out of. Yeah, I think if owners were holding their noses uh, against the stench, they might be broken noses by the end of the season. Well, we are yeah. super fortunate to have Christopher Harris writing for us this season at TheWashingtonPost.com. You can find his rankings at HarrisFootball.com and follow him on Twitter at HarrisFootball. Christopher, thanks again. Thanks, guys. Stock watch. Stock watch. One week of NFL preseason action down. We've definitely seen some early developments. Des, how have they impacted your rankings? All right. Well, I don't know how clear the results are because it's one week of preseason. But, hey, let's overreact. Everything is defined. Let's, just exactly. mark it down right now. It's a week-to-week game. We were living week-to-week here. Let's just, let's just go with what we've seen so far. Actually, well, the first guy I want to start with, it's not so much to do with on-the-field uh, developments as a little bit off the field. That would be LaShawn McCoy. I have him moving up just a couple ticks. I already had him in, in my top ten players. Uh, but just basically based on Ezekiel Elliott getting suspended, you know, I think LaShawn McCoy now, he doesn't exactly join that big two at the top, but I think his value in relation to other running backs does increase. He's one of the few guys left who's, who's such a clear focal point of the offense, especially in the wake of them trading away Sammy Watkins. Uh, you know, they brought in Jordan Matthews. We'll get to him in a moment. But I think there's no, no doubt that they're going to work, give LaShawn McCoy all the work he can handle. And it, it's just when you look at the running backs after him, they all have more, you know, these sort of question marks, whether they're, they have the workload, whether they don't have the workload, whether they have 
the talent to actually take advantage of the workload. So I have him six overall in PPR, fourth in standard. And obviously, we're only talking about movement of a couple of spots. But, you know, in, in the first round, that obviously counts. Like, you want to know if a guy's ranked fourth or sixth when, you, you know, when you're coming time to draft. He's one of those guys who makes me a little nervous just because of the potential touchdown regression, uh, 13 last year, which is a pretty high number. Uh, the way I view it is, would I rather have McCoy in the middle to late first round or would I rather have a guy like Jay Ajayi in the early to mid-second round? And I would go with the latter, uh, try to get one of those uh, elite receivers up top. There's probably like five or six receivers I think I'd take before McCoy. Uh, but you're right, you know, he's he's the next man up, right? Yeah. Elliot, Elliot gets dropped down. Uh, I, I, sort of, I sort of look at it the other way because the in the second round, the running backs to me are, are so – they're all just so laden with questions as opposed to the wide receivers that are around them like Des Bryant and, and Jordy Nelson you can get in the second round or, or even somebody like T.Y. Hilton. Obviously, we need to see what happens with Andrew Luck. But, you know, I, I, th- I think a, a guy like LaShawn McCoy's value has gone up. Yeah, I mean, the one question that I have around McCoy is since he is going to be that focal point of the offense and given some of his health issues in the past – I think you really, really have to handcuff him. you got to go get Jonathan Williams if you're going to make LaShawn McCoy your first-round pick. So to me, that would be my insurance policy, right. but clearly a cut above the rest of the guys out but there. But you know what? I think that's a mark in LaShawn McCoy's favor. You have a super cheap hand- you have a clearly defined, super cheap, talented-looking handcuff. I like that about McCoy. All right, who else is on the move? Okay, sticking with the glass half full, another guy who's moved up a little bit is Spencer Ware, the running back for the Chiefs. I think as soon as the Chiefs drafted Kareem Hunt in the third round, I think a lot of people immediately thought, "Uh uh-oh, there's the heir apparent. It was sort of based on Spencer Ware being a little bit of a disappointment last year. Um, Even though he finishes the RB17 in PPR, he was like top 10 for the first half of the season, and then he really just fell off. And I think he would say, his his proponents would say he was suffering from injuries, but it kind of left a little bit of a bad taste in people's mouths. When you combine the poor... The relatively poor finish to the fact that the Chiefs spent a you know a second day pick on a running back, but it does appear that Ware has so far is holding off Kareem Hunt in training camp. Certainly in their first preseason game, uh, Hunt uh, yeah Hunt had one snap with the first team offense while Ware had 18. So I mean that tells you yeah. all you need to know about the current state of affairs. Hunt, Hunt could overtake him later, but if I'm drafting today, I like Spencer Ware uh, as a top 20 running back. Yeah, I'd keep an eye on it. Ware is not one of my favorites. I think the other guy who's sort of in that range uh, where he's being drafted right now, late fourth uh, fourth round, I actually kind of like Carlos Hyde, prefer him in that spot. Really? Uh, and, and I do think Kareem Hunt is a guy who has a ton of talent. It would not surprise me at all if by the end of the season he's got a lot more action. But, I mean, 18 to 1, you can't argue with that. <laughs> Definitely. Right. Uh, worth bumping up a couple spots. R- really quick, going off the Hyde comment, why why Hyde over where where seems to be in the more established, more effective offense? Niners seem like a total wild card right now. I think so, but I, I also think he's he's the best weapon they've got. Uh, he's supposedly in the in the uh, the lightest weight he's come in in his career. It's still two twenty four. I mean, he's a power back. Uh, but I think he might be a little underrated. I think Kyle Shanahan's going to look at that offense and say, "This is the one guy I need to feature." Yeah. Uh, so I think I, 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 I think he he's got that injury risk, so he moves down a little bit. But he's he's sort of a sleeper to me. Hyde has a lot of talent. I think I think any, most NFL observers would say if you just paired him straight up against Ware, most people would pick Hyde strictly as an NFL running back. And similar to Ware, I think he's held off challengers in training camp. There was a narrative that maybe he might get lose his job or even get cut, which seemed kind of crazy, but. Uh, apparently he's emerged from that in, in pretty good standing with the coaching staff. All right, so we got one more guy on the riser list. Des, who or what is Kenny Galladay? Kennedy Galladay is a – let me try it again. Kenny Galladay. <laughs> we're all going to have to get used to it because I think he's, he's got I a bright you were, future. I thought you were giving him he's, a nickname of his own last <laughs> yeah. name. 
something yeah something based on uh, holiday yeah no, let's all let's all sing madonna okay let's not do that he's a wide receiver for the lions he's a rookie he's a third round pick out of northern illinois so we're talking some red hot maction he had consecutive thousand yard seasons Galladay is a good-looking player. He's 6'4", 213, definitely got the build, ran 4'5", at the combine, you know, great size-speed combination. And the thing about him was he was the talk of training camp from the Lions. Like, he just wowed them from day one. And then, sure enough, in the, uh, in the Lions' preseason debut, he caught two touchdown passes. And this is, this is exactly what they were possibly thinking about with him was, you know, Anquan Bolden has moved on. You know, Golden Tate and Marvin Jones. Well, Jones has had his moments in the end zone. Golden Tate's never been known, obviously, as a red zone guy. And so maybe Galladay will fulfill some of that role. And, you know, the Lions do use three wide receiver sets quite a bit. He could be on the field more often than not. And as someone who likes Eric Ebron, I'm a little worried about that. But at the same time, it's exciting to see what, what a talent like Kenny Galladay can do. He's definitely, and we should keep in mind, the Lions really spread the ball around last year. I mean, it truly was. All three of those guys were factors at different points. Right. Theo Riddick also involved in the passing game. So if he's truly one of those three receivers, there's going to be opportunity there. Uh, more upside than you're typically going to get for 13th round pick, which is where he's going now. So, oh, yeah. And he's got that red zone ability, which you would maybe put him ahead of Golden Tate in that area as an example, or, or even Marvin Jones. So He's a late uh, round flyer for him. sure, and, yeah. and better in standard than PPR, I would say, because of his red zone ability. Looking at some of the names on the downward trending players, a little bloom off the rose for one of the big name running backs, Des. Uh, yeah, one of the biggest. Uh, yeah, there's been, been a change at the top. I Ooh. have long been a Le'Veon Bell guy. Give me Bell. I had him one number one over David Johnson. All offseason. I wrote a post about it, so if you want to know my reasonings, go to WashingtonPost.com and uh, check it out. It doesn't apply anymore, but you should, exactly. you should read what it well, used to no, be. no, it could still apply. If Le'Veon Bell comes back to camp anytime soon, I will consider putting him back at number one. But my reasoning in dropping him number two is, look, if you had a fantasy draft today, you just can't draft a guy number one overall who's not currently with an NFL team. He's holding out from training camp. He's sort of technically a free agent. He hasn't signed a contract. He can only sign his tender with the Steelers. It's, it's a bit of a, a stalemate here. Uh, Le'Veon Bell wants a bigger contract, but actually, I think as far as according to NFL rules, the Steelers, the, the deadline for that has come and gone. Yep, that ship sailed. Right. So basically, I think what he's doing now is he's taking a little vacation. Like, he knows the Steelers will welcome him back with open arms anytime, and I think he's just basically skipping training camp. And, like, maybe that makes sense. Maybe he avoids some of the wear and tear of training camp. But then again, he also loses some of that NFL readiness, some of that, you know, he might be a little more prone to injury. I don't know, maybe Christopher Harris would say that was a crutch argument. I just feel like if you're drafting today, you can't draft a guy who's not with his team right now. Can you draft a guy at number two <laughs> who's not with his team right now? Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I would No, I would absolutely do that because Le'Veon Bell is just that awesome. And I think it, it's a foregone conclusion. He will come back to the Steelers. I think it's just, you know, so little separates Bell from Johnson, at least to me, that something like maybe just a little bit less NFL readiness. And, you know, Bell's had some injuries in the past. Maybe this does give him just that slightly more uh, proneness to, to suffering like a hamstring pull or something either when he, as soon as he comes back or in his first game. So I give the edge to Johnson. Well, it seems pretty clear he's doing it just because he can. All right, also on the downside of the ledger, the Bills' shiny new toy, Jordan Matthews, ready for – oh, wait. Yeah, this is – I mean the Bills. I mean they, they get rid of oh, their top wide receiver because he's had so many injuries. At least you, you figure that's why they fell out of love with Sammy Watkins. They bring in Jordan Matthews who's been a much healthier guy, and what does he do? In his first 15 minutes of his first practice with the Bills, suffers a chip fracture in his sternum. Uh, Ouch. Yeah, it sounds painful. It's not really a, an injury you hear about a whole lot, and I guess it's, be- it's certainly better than, than a, a knee strain, a ligament strain, so, or something so like that. So does he have like a bone just like floating around his chest cavity? <laughs> How's that even work? That sounds yeah. terrible. I don't know. He, he better catch balls with his hands and you know, not pull them into his body. But you know, he's week to week, and the problem here, of course, is that 
he just got to the Bills. That was his first practice, and they're, you know they're running a different scheme. He's ha- he's got to get adjusted to a new quarterback, a new everything. And if he's not out there practicing, even if he's ready by week one, and I think they're confident he will be, that's a lot of time missed. Yeah, I, I would. My take on this news is keep a close eye on Zay Jones and Anquan Bolden because both of those guys right now, these are some of the other guys that are being drafted near Ted Ginn, Josh Doxson, John Ross. Alan Hearns. These are guys who, you know, in some cases, those are third or fourth uh, targets on their teams. One of those two guys is going to be a number one receiver. The other one's a number two. Uh, Bolden was a guy last year who kind of crept up on a lot of people and was was actually a very productive receiver in Detroit. So keep an eye on those two. The targets have to go somewhere. Especially we're talking PPR leagues. Anquan Bolden could see a lot of volume coming his way. He doesn't have to burn people downfield to pick up an extra point just by catching the ball. And, and, and he, could be, he could get in the red zone a fair amount, too, if the Bills can get near the red zone. Absolutely. One of the hot rookie running backs coming into the season, a guy we've talked about on this podcast already, Joe Mixon down, according to Des Beeler. Tell me why. Yeah, I, I think when the, when, the, when the Bengals drafted him, they took him in the second round, which given Joe Mixon's somewhat toxic reputation, or very toxic, depending on how you look at it, um, was a se- almost like spending a first-round pick on a guy because a lot of teams didn't have him on their draft boards at all. So for the Bengals to take him that high meant they, they really liked him. And you looked at the situation he stepped in. Jeremy Hill has been a, a disappointment, at least on field, for the past two seasons, and Giovanni Bernard was coming off of a torn ACL. And so it was very easy to construct a narrative and say, Man, uh, Joe Mixon, he's a great-looking prospect. He could come in there and just take all the work because he can, he can catch passes like Bernard does, but he's also huge. And so you know he can run up the middle like Jeremy Hill does. So if he does everything they do but better, why wouldn't they just go with him? But Good as, reasoning. As so often happens with rookies, the coaches, they're not going to just throw all the work at him. Now, it may wind up that way, but at least so far in training camp, they're keeping Hill in the mix. In fact, Hill is still the starter on the team. So, again, this goes to if you're drafting today, you do have to factor in the – Entirely real possibility that Hill and especially Gio Bernard would get a lot more work than I think a Joe Mixon owner would, would, would prefer. And in their recent preseason game, Hill had uh, eight snaps to Mixon's three with the starters. I mean, it's, it's a very small sample size, but it lets you know that so far the Bengals are still considering Hill the starter. And even if, even if Mixon moves past him, I think those, guys, those two other backs will still be factors during the season. Yeah, Mixon's going in the early fourth round right now, according to ADP. In PPR leagues, that's just too early based on the the risk that he might not be the primary back there. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up that way. Running right. back is usually a position that takes quickly, but Cincinnati is notorious for for being slow with uh, getting their rookies onto the field. They like to develop guys. Uh, usually, don't put them ahead of veterans. So I, I would definitely uh, I would move him back. Uh, a couple rounds maybe on your uh, on your draft boards. All right, so one week down, we've seen some movement already, but weeks two and weeks three of the preseason usually far more telling for fantasy futures, which means we cast our gaze into the weeks ahead. What to watch for. Week two of the preseason coming our way very soon. Jeff, the starting units should get a lot more action. What are you going to be watching for this week? You know, there's a lot of intriguing situations out there. I'm going to look at the Rams out in L.A. Uh, reason being just what is Jerry Goff's development? What is that offense's development? Uh, from a fantasy perspective, I'm looking at uh, two guys. One is Todd Gurley, who's currently got a late second-round ADP. He was a first-round pick last year, and, and a disappointment at that uh, at that level, but still one of the more 
uh, productive fantasy running backs overall, uh, ended up as a top 20 guy. Uh, he's potentially a, a really good value pick in the late second if that offensive line has been fixed, and certainly if Goff has things operating more efficiently. And then the other guy is Sammy Watkins, who's currently going in the fifth round following that trade. Really, Jeff, uh, you're going to be watching Sammy Watkins this week? I'm going to be watching Sammy Watkins. I'm going to overdraft him probably in the second <laughs> round. No, he's a guy, obviously we've talked about his ceiling, uh, certainly earlier in the offseason when he was with the Bills. Uh, keep an eye on him. You know, they're obviously they're putting uh, a supporting cast around Goff to help him succeed. Uh, first uh, first year with new head coach Sean McVay, who did a good job with Kirk Cousins. So keep an eye on that offense because those two guys are are potentially values where they're uh, currently ranked right now. I mean, it, it, really, what it comes down to is is keep an eye on Jared Goff. Like that right. that is the key to that whole thing. If Goff is even remotely competent, he doesn't have to look great. If he can just show that he can throw a football twenty yards down the field. Even if Sammy Watkins is running wide open, if he could just hit him like 25 to 30 yards down the field, that will instill so much confidence that maybe the Rams can get by with, with an even like slightly below average Jared Goff as opposed to horrendous Jared Goff. No one likes horrendous Jared Goff. Certainly no one in Los Angeles. All right, Des, where are you turning your gaze this week? I'm going to be looking at the Giants because there, there are, I think, are more questions about their running backs than maybe a lot of people think who might be drafting Paul Perkins as sort of the 30th to 32nd running back off the board. I mean, I don't know. Like, this is looking like a pretty fluid situation. Uh, ben McAdoo has expressed disappointment with Perkins's effort. It, it, he ran very poorly in their first preseason game against Pittsburgh. The whole team did, and that con- continued to trend from last season when the Giants were 29th in the NFL in rushing. And Perkins was the best of a lousy lot last year, but he was only he only averaged 4.1 yards per carry. And remember, he's a fifth. He was a fifth round pick last year, so he's a kind of lower-round rookie with not a lot of playing time. So it's not like we're talking about some locked-in starter here with a track record of success. The problem is you look around him and you're like, well, who else are they going to go with? Well, I got a name for you. Orleans Darkwa. Wow. Yes. That is a reach. Yes, folks. Get ready to become familiar with Orleans Darkwa. He's splitting first-team reps with Perkins. I think he's, he's a less explosive guy, but he's probably more of a reliable guy. I think he could turn into somebody that Ben McAdoo feels like he can trust. Trust is always a huge thing with coaches. He had three carries for 18 yards against the, uh, against the Steelers. He was the only running back to do anything. Again, we're talking small sample size, but that's the beauty of the preseason, right? You draw tons of conclusions uh, from you know, very minor events. I mean, the Giants' line is is terrible. I mean, it's beyond terrible. It's 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 terrible to borrow from Charles Barkley. Mm. I think for me right now, there's just no such thing as a touchable Giants running back unless unless something happens in the next two weeks. Jeff, what's your take on that situation? The one guy I I would keep an eye on is Shane Vereen, and the reason being that's going to be a very pass heavy offense. We've talked about that before. Uh, you know, higher percentage of three wide receiver sets. Uh, than anyone in the league because the offensive line is the mess uh, as the way you were describing it Mike uh, Vereen brings that pass catching ability that's uh, that's proven uh, I could see him as maybe a maybe a free agent pickup uh, in PPR leagues uh, but I agree it's it's not a not a great running back situation for fantasy owners or for Giants fans <laughs> in New York Vereen could pay off really big in PPR leagues there is definitely a path to him being the Giants most used running back. Like you said, they do figure to throw quite a lot. He could be on the field quite a bit. Yeah, I definitely, I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic about Vereen certainly paying off at his draft slot, which is way down there. He's like the 50-something running back taken. All right, well, I will be watching the Washington Redskins largely because I will be paid to do so, and that's the only way you could have gotten me to watch week one against the Ravens, which was an absolute disgrace as far as the quality of football. They didn't game plan for it, so you really can throw it out the window, but there is a ton of intrigue around the Washington offense, particularly around Terrell Pryor, 
who is going in the top five rounds of most drafts. And for that to happen, he's going to have to click with Kirk Cousins, who is in a contract year. Crutch argument, number plug number 10 or whatever we're up to. This, They're this both in contract year, so that cancels it out. Oh, we should get yeah, Chris back on the phone. Yeah, we, we, well, that's, we, that's we two crutches, right? Two crutches are better than one usually, aren't they? I think, yeah. Or then, no, that's two a worse injury. Yeah, two right? crutches, that's a worse injury. So, no, we don't want two crutches. At any rate, we will have to see if Kirk Cousins and Terrell Pryor, Pryor can get on the same wavelength. A lot of injuries so far. Jordan Reed still dealing with a toe problem. Josh Doxson probably isn't going to play week two. So week three might be the telltale. And then the other guy I'm going to be curious about is Samaj P. Ryan. A lot of buzz about him coming into the season. Absolutely not what you want to see in week one against the Ravens with the fumble. A couple missed assignments like we discussed last week. If he is going to do anything to threaten Rob Kelly's draft stock, you would think he'd have to start turning a corner pretty soon. Well, and I would keep an eye on Rob Kelly because he was, the, there were some pretty good reports at a training camp that he was looking a, a lot better in year two. Right now he's going in like the eighth, ninth round it's of drafts. If yeah. you know, For a lead back, I don't, I don't think that's happening for a lot of teams in the league, especially if you're going the zero RB strategy, um, you know, RB heavy strategy of, of Mike. Uh, he's a guy you can take a swing on in the eighth or ninth round. He was one of your starting running backs. I mean, there could be tremendous value there uh, if he's holding off the rookie P. Ryan. Bet Rob, baby, all day, every day. And, you know, and if we're talking about what to watch for with the Redskins, I mean, Jordan Reed, right? He, he's got this orthotic now in his in his foot to help his or in his shoe to help his toe, and his toe's got some odd display. You know, with Jordan Reed, any injury is a very concerning injury. And when you hear orthotic, it just gets you know you start going like, what is going on here? Is this going to be some long term injury that he's going to have to manage? And if so, you know, like I still have. Ranked third at tight end, but I am watching that situation. I'm ready to drop and blow Greg Olson any moment now. All right, so week two coming up. Week three lies ahead. Remember to check out all of our fantasy football content on thewashingtonpost.com. We're really hitting high gear. You can check out Neil Greenberg's perfect draft. Is also his perfect zero RB draft, which is an interesting twist. That dropped on Wednesday. And remember to give us a shout out on Twitter. I'm at Mike Hume Post. I'm at Des Beeler. I'm at Jeff Dooley underscore. Thanks for listening. See ya.